Um, okay, thank you very much for joining us for our uh, lunchtime uh, interview. Um, we've got, we're very lucky today. This is our first interview we've done. Usually it's just been me boring people directly to camera, but I think we've all had enough of, of that. So we are lucky enough today to, to have Anna Makasai with us, who is a, an expert on how to prevent sexual harassment in the workplace. Okay, so um, th firstly, Anima, thank you so much for agreeing to to join this interview today. Um, and I don't know if you want to, just to sort of, for people who don't know, you give a bit of background about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks, Simon. I'm re I really feel honoured to be your first guest. And yes. it's, it's going to be your first anniversary soon, right? So yes, it is. It is. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I feel really honoured. And, and, and for those of us who don't, I mean, Simon and I have been chatting for quite a while on sexual harassment for the simple reason that um, whenever I had people coming to me with cases and I go, you want a UK lawyer who can help you out? And then I toddle them off over to Simon. And the feedback I got was really, really good, Simon. From oh, thank you. Good. So yeah, and then, and then it unfolded into the sort of conversation. I said, hey, do you want me to, to speak about sexual harassment um, to your clients? And uh, Simon said, yes. So to, as a bit of background, I am a lawyer, <laughs> just like Simon by profession. Um, practice law for about 10 years um, in Malaysia. And then I joined the oil and gas industry where I ended up as legal counsel, general counsel, and so on. And one of the things um, I had to do um, in the oil and gas industry was, you know, roll out policies and so on. And one day it was about sexual harassment. And I knew very little other than I'd been sexually harassed. I don't know if I had sexually harassed anyone, but I definitely had harassed people as well. So we were looking at both harassment sexual harassment and that was quite a number of years ago but since then um, I became one of perhaps Malaysia's foremost uh, I don't know if I'd say experts but someone who could help change things around within an organization particularly not just from a policy or a legal point of view but from an awareness and a training point of view uh, and can you, you can imagine in oil and gas very male dominated so I'd say it was quite fun um, especially getting men to sort of look at things differently uh, whereas you know it would be like well I can just behave and do what I want to one that was like I don't want to hurt anyone um, uh, so so you know over to you, Simon, if you've got any questions, let's... Yeah, no, no, no questions. No, obviously joking, loads of questions. So, <laughs> um, so um, how, pre how prevalent is uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, either worldwide or more particularly in the UK? Very, actually. Um, the figures are quite astonishing. I mean, we look at worldwide, the most recent report actually came from the IBA, that's the International Bar Association. So they had over about, I think, close to 7,000 respondents from around the world, including the UK. And they found that one in three women are sexually harassed and one in 14 men, one four. So men also get sexually harassed as well, um, although it tends to be more women. And the, on an aside, the interesting thing as well, they found that one in two women are bullied and one in three men are bullied. And there are quite a few parallels, actually, between sexual harassment and workplace bullying. Um, in terms of, um, there's several surveys that have been done in the UK. I think it was the trade union uh, had done a survey as well as the, the group linked to everyday sexism. They mainly focused on women, so the figures were 
quite higher, more, more like 50%, whereas the IBA was both uh, genders. But a survey that I did um, on, on my own, um, and this was worldwide, um, showed about 60-odd percent of people had experienced sexual harassment. But I was conscious of the fact that people who had experienced it were more likely to go in and answer the survey as well. But the interesting statistic that I also took away was I asked how many of you officially report. So you go to HR or management and say you've experienced sexual harassment. And the figures were really low. It's 14%, one four. And actually that's marginally higher than what the EEOC in the US has found. Um, most people stay silent or they may t- tell other colleagues, but they don't come forward to the organization itself and say, I've been sexually harassed. So why, why, why is that? Why do they not bring it forward on official channels? Well, the, the, what I saw in EOC, I had the same uh, feedback, is people were afraid it would derail their career in some way. So um, they might, you know, they might be fired or their, their, their career might stop because they would be seen as a troublemaker. Um, and some, some, it was like they feared not being believed because this is a big deal for them. They could be traumatized. And the last thing you want to do is to be re-traumatized when you sort of open your heart out and say, I've experienced this, and the organization just doesn't believe you. So there are various fears. Um, there were even people who didn't want to get their harasser into trouble. And, and, and maybe this is something we can talk about at a later stage as well. Um, doesn't mean you're going to fire someone who's sexually harassed. And I think that's another thing that, that people have to, to understand. Um, but the main thing from these statistics, if you look at it, is that if one in three women, uh, for example, in, in the legal profession, are being sexually harassed, or the figures 30, between 30 to 50% are being sexually harassed, they're very, it's very, very likely that most medium to big size organization, even small ones, will be having sexual harassment in their midst. And because the level of reporting is so low, it's very likely if you're in HR, you're in management, you don't know. You don't know it's happening. Right. So so how would they find out it is happening then? (laughs) Well, there are some indicators, and maybe we can talk about that at the end, because I've developed a tool which actually shows what are the red flags that you can look for uh, and, and what kind of climate do you have in the office which would help detect where sexual harassment could be happening and, and where you're, you're sort of falling short. Uh, we can come to that later. But the worst way to find out is through Twitter yeah. <laughs> or through Facebook or through the front page of one of the dailies that has your name in big letters and says, you know, so-and-so company has uh, failed um, this person who's sexually harassed. Um, That's the worst way to find out. And what I've seen is that sometimes that does happen. And the people in the board, people in senior management, had no clue that this was going on. But, I mean, so you look at something like, uh, I suppose, the Ted Baker case has been reported when it appears or allege that the guy at the top was, was, if I put it like this, a hugger. So it would have been, it would, that would have been known presumably throughout the entire business. So how does, how does the behavior affect the company when it is not only known, but it's accepted at the higher level? Well, that's a, that's a really good comment. And that's more frequent than, than, than we think actually. Uh, Very often what drives a sexual harassment or even a bullying culture is the tone that's set at the top. So if um, the big boss doesn't seem to respect uh, employees' private and personal space, 
um, it would be seen like, you know, well, it's, it's open season. Anyone can do that. If he can do that, you know, others can do that. And Uber is another very good case. Um, the, 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 if, if you look at what Susan Fowler had written about, the en environment itself from Travis Kalanick, the ex-CEO, to senior managers and so on, um, they would be making sex jokes, even in emails and, and you know, things like, well, we're going to have this party. I don't want to know who sleeps with who. When you say that and you're a leader and you're putting that in an email, it's yeah. really hitting a tone where what's happening is some employees will go, woohoo, this, this is a fun place to work. But there are also many employees who feel very, very uncomfortable. And they might just leave and you never know why, because they're like, I don't want to work in a place like that. And it's really about having the workplace to be one which is safe, where people can go to work knowing that, you know, they can do their job. That's what they want to do. They, they go to work to do a job um, to, to um, empower themselves as well. But the last thing they want is to go to work and have to put up with sexual harassment, feeling unsafe, you know, going into the office and avoiding certain people or walking the long way around so you, you avoid, you know, to a particular colleague who's known to be dangerous. That kind of um, work uh, environment can be quite toxic. It's, it's what, scary, yeah. Sorry, what, what about the kind of, uh, I'll just speak my own personal experience, that uh, I know of firms where publicly they have decried all forms of harassment and discrimination and bullying and boasted to the world about what a good employer they are, but um, the reality behind closed doors is that they honestly couldn't care less that the person who's being accused is a rainmaker. And, and there is, in my experience, the people who are making the money yeah. to get away with blue murder. Is that is that just uncommon to what I've seen, or is that I've pretty common? That. I see that too. And we also see it on the front pages of the newspapers as well. Uh, yeah. The star performers... Um, maybe sometimes the CEO, the big bosses, they're almost untouchable. And, and there's that, that's also, that also causes sort of lack of reporting. People say, um, I don't want to report because this person is, you know, the ED of the organization. And if I do that, who do you think they're going to fire? It's not going to be that person, right? It's not going to be the ED. So that, that, that causes... Again, if we look at what makes you trend on Twitter, you know, if, if your organization is ignored sexual harassment, if it's a star performer, if it's a big name, um, if it's a CEO, that's when, you know, your, your big sensationalist news story, right? You know, yeah. because, and also what makes it worse is when the organization tries to cover it up. So if, if um, a victim has come forward and says, you know, so-and-so has sexually harassed me and happens to be the CEO and everybody in HR is going, oh, no, what are we going to do? And the, the best way not to do something is just ignore it and hope it goes away, but it doesn't. And what happens is by ignoring it or handling it badly, yeah. it's going to leak out. If not the victim themselves, someone else who knows, well, all they need to do is hashtag me too on Twitter put the name of the perpetrator, maybe even the name of the company, and that's it. You know, you're fighting fires after that. So so those are big red flags. I mean, if a sense like it's someone senior, if there's several victims, if um, the organization has tried to cover it up, not deal with it properly, that's almost like a red flag, <laughs> red flag to a bull, right? <laughs> the media would love to report that kind of thing. So... The moment you get a case where someone has alleged senior, 
sexual harassment by somebody senior, don't ignore it. You have to do something. Yeah, it's the, the, res, the response can be as powerful as, in a positive way, <clears throat> as, the, as ignoring can in a negative way. And I think it's employers, I think, have to remember, don't they, that it's sexual harassment can cause mental, mental health issues with the victim, but it also can cause um, people in the rest of the team or the rest of the organisation who may not be the victim of it, they can feel unsafe in the workplace as a result of it. So you can ultimately get a, a high turnover of staff. And actually the people who you want to keep, there's a brain drain and you're only left with the people that nobody else will hire. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's another indicator as well. Um, so I've, I've, I've put in my, among my tools, what are the indicators that should could show you have a problem like sexual harassment. One of them is your attrition rate seems to be somewhat higher than industry average, or you have people taking sick leave a lot. You have people going and seeing um, psychiatrists uh, because they really need this kind of help. There's something going on in the workplace. And, it, and as an employer, you know, it's incumbent upon you to find out because you're responsible for the well-being of your employees. No, absolutely. absolutely. So, so you've got all of that. So if, if employers want to avoid um, allowing sexual harassment in the workplace, what, what kind of things would you recommend? So one of the first things to do, so that we're both lawyers, and this is a, this is a uh, webinar from a law firm, so this is going to sound really counterintuitive. First of all, switch off the legal hat. <laughs> it's a bit of a paradigm shift. What typically happens is, imagine you're in HR, you're in compliance, or you're a manager, and someone comes to you and says, I'd be sexually harassed, and they might burst into tears, but obviously they look very troubled, and they tell you, you know, what's going on. Very often, our first instinct is, oh, my God, how am I going to protect the organization, you know, legally, da, 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 da. Also, um, yeah, the checklist, okay, um, I have to think about investigation. What action do I take against the person? We need to put that aside, right? Or, you know, how does this hold up in court? Do I have evidence? We need to put that aside and think, this person in front of me, we should be present with them and listen. What is it that we can do for them and support them? Because just imagine if someone who's speaking to you feels supported, they're not likely to then go off on Twitter and hashtag me too and name everyone, right? But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it for them. Um, so this is shifting away from a very legal focus to one that is um, victim focused. So, the, so basically the first thing to do would be to listen without judgment, without interruption. You don't even need so much clarification at that stage because some of this can come later should it go into investigation mode. You're not there to investigate. You're there to listen and give support. And one of the questions that, are, that I typically would ask is, you know, once they've told their story is, well, what is it that you would like me to do? would like us to do? And it's amazing how stumped they are when they ask this because they didn't think of that. Just bear in mind the person sitting before you is not the most rational point, the person at that point, because they're troubled, they're upset, they're telling you something that's painful. That in itself says a lot, that they have the courage to come to you and spill their guts out and tell you what's going on, right? So from my experience, um, those who do know what they want, generally, very often they say, I want it to stop. That's it. And they expect me and the organization to do something so that this person will stop sexually harassing them. 
right? Sometimes they add, I want an apology. So I want this person to acknowledge what they've done. And I want this person to know that I'm hurt because of what they've done and understand that and say sorry. No excuses, you know, no defensiveness, say sorry in a meaningful way. And the other thing that they often ask is that I don't want this person to do this to others. I'm very worried that um, he or she could also be sexually harassing someone else or this new intern that's just come in, you know, so that's often the case. So it's, it's listening and it's amazing how what we think is really simple is hardly practiced by so many of us in organizations. No, well, I, I, I've had a case where, <clears throat> albeit, I think it was sexual harassment, it was, a, it was a grievance where somebody lodged a grievance, they came to see the grievance hearing officer who then proceeded to put down their cup of coffee and start to read the grievance in front of the person. <laughs> I know, which, which, of course, if somebody's gone to the trouble of putting a grievance in, a t- a parking any, anyone who's vexatious, but anyone who's gone to the trouble of putting a grievance in, whether it's on sexual harassment grounds or discrimination grounds or, or just plain old-fashioned bullying, to not be prepared and to not be empathetic to me is just the worst possible start. You're never going to recover from that. And that's, that's the thing, the risk that you're talking about. You're going to get people then losing faith in the process, maybe even leaving the business, maybe resorting to social media because someone's not prepared or they're not giving the appearance that it's important to them. Yeah, and it's something that's really basic. It is about us, you know, having empathy, it's about us being human. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly right. Yeah. You know, put aside the whole, okay, here's my checklist that legal issued to me, and have I done this, have I done that? I remember once sitting down and telling um, a boss all the stuff that, that had happened that he needed to be cognizant of, and he didn't look at me. Actually, there was somebody who was taking over my boss's place for a week, so he didn't look at me. He wrote down everything I said and hardly looked at me. And I thought, am I actually in the same room with you? You know, you know it's something as simple as that. Um, and I think we need to be human. We also need to be aware of our own responses. Sometimes we can be quite judgmental. Now, I'm not meaning to say sexist, feel, sound sexist, but I'm going to say this. I find that women actually can be more judgmental when receiving sexual harassment reports than men. Um, now, and I'm not the first one who said this. And the reason for this is because some women think, well, I got it worse. So, you know, what do you complain about? <laughs> yeah. The men are more like, oh, wow, I didn't realize, you know. So they're a bit more open. Now, I know I'm generalizing and I've come across, you know, gen, you know gender swap as well. But um, if we start judging and thinking, well, how would I behave? Then we're not listening anymore because each person is different. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, just there's one thing. I, I promised you I was going to ask you a couple of hard-hitting questions. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going to come on. It's probably not that hard-hitting. But so I've seen you've used the word victim a lot there. And, and we see on, or I see on social media um, a lot, the hashtag believe the victim mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and naturally, I think, as a lawyer, I, I have some discomfort with that because that seems to me to fly in the face of, of natural justice yeah. How, would you, how would you you know i've that? grappled with this too because like you i'm a lawyer and um for those who don't know i'm writing a book on workplace sexual harassment and i have two co-authors one is an american psychiatrist one is a malaysian uh women's rights um advocate and one of the things my my american friend a guy said was um you know what what you know the whole 
grappling natural justice, um, uh, believing the victim. And, and we realize, yes, there is a tension. There definitely is a tension. And this is why one of the, when I said just now about listening, is we're actually taking off that, in a sense, that legal cap at that point. And we're, we're sort of listening. Now, maybe the person is lying, but, you know, if you're listening, you can probably tell. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. If someone is genuinely hurt, you can tell. If someone is really angry and wants to get back at someone, you can tell. Um, having said that, I, I would say that... Um, False allegations are quite rare. What is more likely to have happened is that um, the victim has been sexually harassed, feels very hurt by it, but the harasser um, is not aware. Very often they don't intend to hurt someone. They're just unaware that what they said or did has caused this this pain um, in this person. Um, so often it's a lack of understanding and a lack of awareness on the harasser's part, which is, except for very severe cases, it's not likely that every, you know, not every sexual harassment case is going to end up in termination or suspension of the harasser. It could be something about creating awareness, sitting down with that person and, and, and explaining um, what happened and getting them to understand that that actually was hurtful. Because once people understand what they did um, did hurt someone they actually will stop but when they're they're not given that opportunity and they're immediately told on this date you did this you said this therefore please you know show cause as to why you were not sexually harassing this person who how are they going to react they're going to get all defensive and you know everybody lawyers up um (laughs) what we want to do well let's hope anyway (laughs) And actually, Simon, let's face it, sometimes it does make things worse, right? <laughs> oh, it totally does, because everyone's polarised by that point. Everyone retreats to the corner, and the chances of conciliation just diminishes by the day, because the lawyers want to earn their money, they're fighting the client's corner, but because lawyers typically aren't conciliators by nature, yeah. everyone drifts apart. So, yes, if you want to keep the relationship with everyone in the business, you want to conciliate if you can. Yeah. I've just seen a question come in, and I think it's it's a great question. Um and, and it's really, I'll, I'll read it out for the benefit of those who are listening to the recording. What about when an employee raises concerns with you, such as being looked at inappropriately, but does not want any action to be taken? This is the other thing about victim focus. A great, great question. Two things. We ask the victim, what do you want? Um, now, some they do want action to be taken, but some don't. And they just say, um, I want you to know but I don't, don't do anything towards this man or woman. Um, I, I, you know, I just want you to know. Um, so if that's the case, we'll go, that's fine. And we don't raise it with that person. But what we do instead is we realize that maybe we do have a problem. There are some, some employees who are making some other employees feel uncomfortable. Let's look back at our training. Let's look back at our awareness. Or could we make people aware of, you know, what sexual harassment is? Um, and um, some some people may not realize that, you know, staring at uh, the opposite gender or, or your own gender in a certain way may make them feel uncomfortable, right? They're doing it unconsciously. But if we know that someone has experienced this and we say, okay, in our next training, our next awareness session, or it could be an email like, you know, hey, let's learn a little bit more about sexual harassment. For example, this, this, this. So it's not so overt that we're singling out some person who did this, right? Um, And it's a great question because actually 
quite a number of people do not want anything to happen to the harasser and anything negative. They just they just don't want it to continue happening. But just to prevent the company, sorry, to protect the company on that part, and I, t- I totally get that, that sentiment. But if somebody's coming and saying the business, um, for want of a better, just to pick on him because he's sat over there, Sam, Sam's sexually harassing me, but I don't want you to do about it. There would there would have to be some um, nuance in that, wouldn't there? Where you may have to say, well, I know you don't want us to take it further, but given the nature of the allegations, we have to investigate. Um, because the risk, the risk, I suppose, would be is that the employer has this allegation or allegation sat on file, does nothing, yeah. happens again, and the employee says, but I told you about all of this. Yeah, so this is, well, well documenting that conversation would be yeah. important as well. Um, so this is, again, I think on the seriousness of the issue. So maybe staring inappropriately may not be as considered. I totally get that, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I get Compared that. Compared to, you know, someone touching you, for example, and then you might uh, say to the person, well, this is this is quite serious, um, and we do feel we might have to do something because we don't want other employees uh, to experience this. So sometimes it's a series of conversations, and I've had conversations with people um, in the organization before where it could be like, um, uh, they're uncomfortable about taking it further, but we in the organization recognize it's serious, especially... Um, you wouldn't believe how common this is, that there are predators, okay? Um, and predators are people who would, t- they, they go after several people. It's just not one employee, it's several, there's a pattern. And if we have five people all with the same story, but all five say, oh, don't do anything further, we have to. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we'll have to because <laughs> there are five people affected. We cannot ignore this. Um, you have to do something. It's a predator. And what, what about um, workplace banter or bants, as it's known, affectionately? I didn't hear about bants, but okay. <laughs> okay. Well, so one of my co-authors, uh, Betty Yo, uh, who's uh, Malaysian, she's been dealing with this for 40 years. She's actually uh, one of Malaysia's leading experts in sexual harassment. Um, she says we might think it's really small, sexual, uh, sorry, banter, um, but it can be incredibly toxic. Hmm. Um, and if Sexual banter becomes really common. You hear it every day, and it's you know a bunch of people standing around the coffee machine and cracking jokes. It can be very hurtful for others who hear it. So you know, you and me, Simon, we might be standing next to the coffee machine, and you know we understand each other. We can joke with each other. And neither of us are hurt by it. We think it's funny. But let's say we're both the bosses, right? And we're yeah. standing there, and the group of you know more junior people around, and we're making cracking the sexual joke, and they're listening, and they're going. Oh, so some are feeling, hey, you know, they can do it. I can do it too, because they're the bosses. And others are feeling, I feel really uncomfortable because that joke's about someone who's gay and I'm gay and I haven't come out of the closet yet. You you know, that kind of thing. So I would say (laughs) stop sexual banter or, you know, or racist banter, jokes which can hurt people in the office. Um, You want to go crack a joke, do it. Just the two of you somewhere where no one can hear you and definitely not in a work environment. Um, I, I, I can, I can I, hear people watching this cursing you, saying, oh, look, it's political correctness gone mad. What's the point of going to work if we can't have a laugh? What, what would you say to those? Can detractors? you imagine 
So here I am. I mean, I had a lot of flack. I'm in an oil and gas company, mostly men. And I'm saying things like this. And they're all rolling their eyes like, oh, my God, she's no fun. You know, what's she trying to do to the environment? Um, but what happened? I mean, I realized that that's what they were thinking. And these are people, you know, started working in the 70s. It was a very different time then. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so, so what we did for part of our, our training was we would get people to share uh, things that they heard or said about them that was painful. And a lot of this was actually amazingly banter and verbal yeah. remarks, throwaway remarks, right? Um, and when the, the older people would listen to this and go, oh, my God, because, you know, I crack a joke, but I don't intend to hurt anyone. I don't expect someone's going to go off and have a cry after that. Um, and when you hear the story of someone who has experienced pain through that, um, you're going to really start watching yourself. So it's a bit of self-awareness, you know, what am I doing that, you know, if I say this, is someone going to be hurt? So you're going to have to be put a little filter before you, you know, yeah. you feel that joke is just aching to come out and there's the, but am I going to hurt someone if I say this? And you kind of stop. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that Juliet over there listens to all this advice because perhaps we'll stop her calling me Fatty Boom Boom every time she gets an opportunity, <laughs> which, which to be public, it's, it's hurtful. I don't mind saying it. Sorry. That's fine. All right, so um, we're running to the end of this half hour, but could you just talk us through um, peril and what it is you can offer to ah, employers okay. who are serious, not just involved in window dressing to change the culture of their organisation? Yeah, so, so what we said earlier on is, well, you know, how will I know as a boss that I have a sexual harassment problem in the organization if no one is reporting it? So I developed a tool. Um, but what this is, is a assurance review. It's a desktop review and, and fairly quick to do, um, where we look at, we ask certain questions, right? And people look at where do they stand in terms of, so I would say peril, policies, education, reporting, investigation, and learnings. Yeah. So in each of that, we would see, you know, do you have a policy? And then we look at the type of policy that you have. Does it follow best practice? And we score you on that. And just by asking those questions, then you can see in your organization, what is the best practice? Uh, and what is the minimum? And do you have the minimum? Because if you don't, you score zero. If you have a minimum, you score one. And you have a best practice, you score two. And there are many, many little questions yeah. there. And they all add up and actually indicates where you are, how, aware, how your organization is able to deal and address with sexual harassment and whether we ask other red flag indicators, it's little signs that could show that you have a problem as well. So I'm piloting this and I would be very happy if an organization wants to volunteer itself and say, um, we'd like to know, we'd be happy to be part of your pilot um, and, and we can see, we can work around it. And of course it's purely confidential right it just stays there uh in terms of how this works and how we can sort of fine-tune it um and how it helps you know an organization um identify where it, it needs to improve yeah well that sounds perfect okay so what's what's your email address if you just okay all right so my email is uh anima that's a-n-i-m-a-h at Speak up at work. That's all one word, dot com. So okay. anima at speakupatwork.com. So 
That's brilliant. Well, thanks very much. I hope my questions haven't been too hard-hitting and you'll, you'll be okay tonight. But, um, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just aware another question came in. Um, sure. I'm just wondering, is that sort of questions maybe we can respond by email or do I just answer this now? Um, uh, well, you can, yeah, I, I think if we, do, if we do one more and then anything else that you haven't had a chance to answer, we will let you, we will give those I don't know who's got them, we got them, then we'll send them to you for you to answer, unless they're from me. All right, so very quickly, and um, sorry, I can't can't read the whole thing out, but it's about a relationship that breaks down, um, and then they claim sexual harassment, or either one claims sexual harassment after a relationship breakdown. Um, (laughs) That that makes it a lot more complicated, and uh, it's not as common as other forms of sexual harassment, though it does happen. But this is really where um, the organization needs to listen to both sides and get a sense of um, did something happen after the termination of the relationship but it can you know it can still happen the issue of non-consent can happen in a relationship as well um, it's it's a bit of a complicated question so I won't go into too much but this is where listening to both sides um, does sort of uh, help but it's all about making the workplace safe um, for people whether they're couples or they're not um, uh, in in the workplace so yeah, which, which shouldn't really be a big ask, I suppose, should it? It, it um, shouldn't be. And, I, you know, it, it's it's simple. I mean, basic stuff. We just need to remember about being human, having empathy, and remembering if you're in HR, your duty is for the well-being of all your employees, not, not just the CEO or your star employee. It is everyone. No. All right. Very well said. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We shall see you next month. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.